An ex-rugby player turns his athletic prowess into a weapon of war as he takes down a South African gang of rapists. That's an, that was an intense intro, and that escalated really, really quickly. A gang of rapists versus an ex-rugby player. Who will win? And then we travel to rural Virginia to meet two buddies, Max and PJ, driving around late one night. They thought they were going to have a fun time, listen to some tunes, kick back a couple beers. Instead, they came face-to-face with reality-bending madness. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having lots of fun. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, everyone on your feet, I don't care what you're doing, you jump up, you let go of that hang glider and fall to your death, but you salute John Giles, our newest Patreon supporter. Everyone give a round of applause to John Giles walking into Dead Rabbit Command. Now, John, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. John, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're driving all the way out to South Africa. (laughs) That's quite the drive. I need to start matching the vehicles up to where the stories are. Because I throw them the keys and then I turn on my notes and I realize uh, there's no roads going there. But John somehow drives us all the way out to South Africa. It's early 2011. And former rugby player Joseph Shinogwana, he's a 33-year-old man, gets the worst news you could possibly get. He was a former player for the Blue Bulls, which I've practiced not saying Blue Bulls all day long. He was a former player for the Blue Bulls, a professional South African rugby team. He didn't quite blow up. His career wasn't the best, but he did play between 1998 and 2001 ends up leaving the league. He did some businesses here and there, became a born-again Christian in 2010. But in early 2011, Joseph gets terrible news. He finds out that his daughter, his beautiful, beloved daughter, has been gang-raped. And if that wasn't bad enough, she got AIDS during the rape. So Joseph is sitting there in his room, His prayers have gone unanswered. The police are useless in South Africa. The government is doing nothing to punish these rapists who gave his daughter a life sentence. Or death sentence, actually, right? That's what I should have said. Totally changed the quality of her life. Totally changed everything about it. One night of brutal terror. And Joseph does what I think any parent would do. In this type of situation where the government is not helping and these people are just wandering around free after doing this horrendous act, he picks up a hand axe and begins stalking them. So maybe not every maybe not every parent would do that, but I think a lot would want to in this type of situation. So on March 20th, 2011, Joseph is trailing this dude. Because he knows the guys who did this. He knows the guys who raped his daughter and, in effect, murdered her, right? She was going to die eventually from this disease. He's moving through the bushes, and he's trailing this guy. 
This isn't also just some weak dude. This is a former professional rugby player. So when Joseph jumps out with that hand axe and begins swinging it and chopping this dude up, it makes short work of this guy who was just walking down the street. That was on March 20th in 2011. That was the first murder in Montclair. This dude was hacked up and beheaded. A few days later in Lamptonville, South Africa, another man, hacked to death with a hand axe, decapitated. Yellowwood Park. Later that week, Joseph finds the third man responsible for this horrendous crime, chops him up. Within two weeks of starting this spree, he killed three men and grievously injured two others. Two other people he rolled up on and just began swinging that axe, and they were able to make it away with massive damage to their body. They went to the police, and then he caught the last guy who was part of this horrendous rape gang. And that guy also got away, but not without getting hit with an axe wielded by a massive, muscular man with vengeance in his heart. So they identify him. These people who get away, they say, hey, this is the guy who attacked me. And the police roll up and they arrest Joseph. They charge him with three murders. They One of the guys, he chopped his head off. They found the head a mile away. Like this wasn't, I don't know why he was carrying it for a mile. And he goes, ew, gross. But it wasn't like these crimes of passion. He was also just doing weird stuff with the bodies. But he was saying, no, no, no. These people did the ultimate brutality to my daughter. So who cares if their head's a mile away or a hundred yards or right next to it? Who cares? And so the defense, when he goes to trial, he gets arrested, he goes to trial, and the defense is like, this was a crime of passion. His daughter was raped, and she has AIDS, and can you imagine what, I mean, the very best she's going to have to take medicine, very, very expensive medicine for the rest of her life, and the worst, you know, she's not going to be able to have kids, all this stuff, right? Or she can have kids, but child could end up having it as well. What happens, though, is the police say, well, here's the thing. We investigated this. Like, after he chopped up all these people, and we looked into him, we investigated this, his daughter doesn't have AIDS. The defense team's like, what? He's like, no, his daughter does not have AIDS. And the defense team goes, how, how do you know that? The police goes, well, um, because his daughter was never raped. And the defense is like, how dare you say that? Like, she is making these allegations and you're saying this didn't happen at all. This rape, first you're saying she didn't have AIDS, which isn't true. But you're saying this rape gang didn't even rape her in the first place. And the police go, they didn't rape her because Joseph does not have a daughter. He doesn't have a daughter. So she couldn't have been raped and gotten AIDS. He was nuts. He imagined the whole thing. He was sitting in his house one day and thought his daughter got raped and got AIDS from these five men and then he murdered five random people. One of them, the third one in Yellowwood, they don't even know who it was. It must have been someone passing through town. He chopped him up so badly. He doesn't know who it was. The police don't know. The body's unidentified. Just some random guy walking. Attacked by a dude who thinks you raped his... that I've been in a lot of fights in my life, but I've never been in a fight with a level that high. I could not imagine fighting a guy... First off, jumping out of the bushes and coming at me, but thinking that I did something so unspeakable to a loved one. Like, I've fought people over money. 
right? Over some girl we were both talking about. But I, I mean, that is a fury that I think very, very few people could stand up to. And it was fake. It wasn't even real. He murdered, he was a serial killer. He murdered all these guys and thought that's what he was doing. And it came out later, the cops are like, oh yeah, and apparently while he was doing this, he also kidnapped a woman and held her captive for three days and raped her. So we're, char- we're charging it with that defense attorneys who are trying to say that he was a, a vigilante, which is against the law, by the way. That's not a defense. But So he is currently doing five consecutive life sentences. Apparently, during the trial, he was nuts. He was speaking in tongues. He was acting super weird. The defense defensive lawyer was probably really, really embarrassed. His father is like, listen, my son has a history of mental health problems. He's had these all of his life. And the judge goes, I think that this, I think this blathering idiot in the corner, I think he is um, okay to, I think he's competent enough to stand trial. So they did, they held the tree. He probably wasn't. He probably should have been medicated and locked up in some loony bin. But, but yeah, they said you're competent to stand trial. He was found guilty. Five consecutive life sentences. He'll never get out. Crazy crazy story everyone loves vigilantes right i mean unless you're a criminal everyone loves the common man coming up and taking down those bastards that are ruining your neighborhood or doing horrible things to kids or but they have to actually be doing that stuff first otherwise you're just a serial killer otherwise you're just part of the problem i understand joseph the sentiment of wanting to do that but your daughter does not exist you know what would be really creepy? Imagine him in jail now and him going, how come my daughter never writes me? How come I never get any letters from my daughter? Oh, my God. So, that's so depressing. I gave up everything for her. Where's my daughter? He breaks out of jail. He breaks out of jail. He fashions a hand axe out of, out of like, bed, bed stuff. It's just a pillowcase, but he's still killing people with it. Joseph may still have a second act in him. Hopefully not, though. He does sound like a muscle-bound lunatic. John, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind South Africa. We are headed all the way out. We have to make sure Joseph isn't hanging on to the bottom of the copter as we're taking off. He could be hitching a ride with us. We're headed all the way out to rural Virginia. It's not a town. I'm saying rural as in... Little country area. As we're headed out there, I wanted to do a really quick Dead Rabbit Recommends. The movie is very unusual. It's a subgenre of horror movies, which I classify as the Wish movies. Most famously known as the Wishmaster series, which I love those. But also there was a really great horror movie called The Brass Teapot. They're about movies of people making wishes and wishing wishes going sideways. Monkey paw type stories. There's a new movie out now. It's a Shutter exclusive called The Advent Calendar. And it's a French film, but it's about a woman who is paraplegic and she gets a advent calendar that is also the home to a German demon called Ick. And every day there's a new treat that comes out of the advent calendar. And every day she has to make a decision. Does she continue to go on with this? Does she let Ick's game consume her soul? It's really interesting. It's really, really interesting horror movie. Really, really interesting horror movie. I enjoyed it. Some really cool visuals. The scene, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a scene where Ick shows up for the first time. It confronts one of the characters. And I I think I might classify this in, in maybe my top... 20 horror movie moments 
of the past 20 years. Like, it was a really cool scene. You very rarely get good Christmas-themed horror movies. I know Lana, my friend Lana, for a long time, has been trying to do a Thanksgiving horror movie or Christmas horror movie. They're hard to pull off. But The Advent Calendar is a really good Christmas-themed horror movie. It's creepy, it's moody, and I give it a watch. Shutter exclusive, The Advent Calendar. Dead Rabbit recommends The Advent Calendar. John, go ahead and lower this carpenter copter onto this rural street here in Virginia. I found this story on the website, the phenomenal website. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't go to this website. It's called Phantom and Monsters, phantomsandmonsters.com. And it's run by a man named Lon Strickler. And he he's just a, such a great voice for the conspiracy theory community. He writes tons of books. He has this great resource, phantomsandmonsters.com. Definitely check it out. I find a lot of good stuff on there, and this story is no different than that. We don't have a time period for this story, though. That's one of the things. I don't know if this story takes place in the 90s or 2000s. So I don't know as far as that goes. I wish there was a little more information. But in rural Virginia, there was a man. We're going to call him Max. Max, he's 19 years old, and his cousin PJ, who's 19, 20 years old, are driving down the back roads of Virginia. It's 9 p.m. and they've been drinking. Now he goes on to say, he goes on for any law enforcement that may be reading this story, that we weren't drunk. We were just buzzed. We had like a good buzz, but at no point were we actually ever drunk. They're driving through these back roads of Virginia, and all of a sudden they both have the urge to pee. They both need to use the restroom. So, right when they're thinking about that, they see a corner store. This isn't an area they're super familiar with. They're obviously, like, familiar with Virginia, but this isn't... They're just driving down random roads. They see a corner store, and they look at each other like, SCORE! And they're, this is when you know. They say they're just buzzed, but this is when I think they're drunk. As the car's pulling up, their plan is... They're at this corner store, and there's, like, people milling about, and there's cars getting gas-pumped people in the store. Their goal is not to go in and ask, hey, can we use the bathroom? They go, hey, let's go let's go around the back and pee behind the building. That's when I was like, okay, these guys are probably a little more than just buzzed. I do want to interject here, though, and say, in my personal paranormal research, I've done, used to do a lot of on-the-ground ghost hunting back in the day. A lot of it. I noticed a trend and it was something that we used to tell to see if something could be coming, is the need to urinate goes up when paranormal events start happening. It's super weird. I've noticed it several, several times with myself. Other people have noticed it as well. And then <laughs> they see the giant wet stain on my pants. They're like, Jason, is something spooky coming? I'm like, uh, yeah. No, they've also, like, we've been hanging out and doing a ghost hunt. Someone will be like, dude, I have to pee. I have to pee. And then something weird will happen. And I've kind of collected all that data. So the fact that this happened in this story, that's part of the lore. I don't know what the mechanism is for it, but it just causes it. Not all the time. I don't know how many times aliens have to... If you don't pee, I have to say that. We're not, we're not peeing in our pants. You just have the need to pee. But I don't know how many times aliens are like mopping up UFOs. Anyways, they pull up to this country store. And they realize the store looks kind of old-fashioned. But that makes sense. You know, it's rural Virginia. They're not really keeping up with the times. The village. The village is taking place right next door. They think it's like 1892. So these guys are walking around. And they notice everyone's kind of dressed funny. 
But they're, they, they're a little buzzed, and they need to pee. They're not really thinking about it, but they see, like, kids there, and there's, like, a little, like, bench swing outside the corner store. Very quaint place. And as they're going to go behind the building to pee, they see a guy, and he's pumping gas. And he kind of, like, has the gas nozzle in there, and he looks at the boys, and he's like, hey, guys, what's up? And they're like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, oh, no, he found us. We're not going to pee in his face. Pee in his face and run away. They said this guy, he looked, he was really well-dressed. Funny, because this is like a little gas station corner store. They said he's wearing a nice suit, nice tie, slacks, and his hair slicked back. They said he looked like an Italian mobster. He kind of gave off that fashion advice. So much not his personality, but just the way that he looked. He was a six-foot-tall dude. They said he was built. They said he looked like... He could mess you up, but he didn't seem like he was going to. And they're kind of just doing a little bit of small talk there. And as they're engaging in the small talk, they just kind of get to know him. And customers are kind of filtering out of the store. And eventually, it's them three that are left in this country store. The close sign is up. And at this point, they're full-on chatting. They've really made a connection with this young man. And Max and PJ goes, hey, man, now the store's closed. You want to go like drive around the back roads with us and drink? It'll be fun. The guy kind of thinks about it for a second, and he goes, yeah, you know what? Totally. I will totally do that with you. Just let me finish closing up the shop, and we'll go. And so PJ and Max go back to the car, and eventually the dude comes out, and he's carrying, like, a bottle of wine. It's in a paper bag. The ultimate concealer of alcohol. And he goes, hey, you guys got to try this wine. And, and Max is drinking it, and PJ's drinking it, and they're kind of passing around. And, and they're driving through the back roads. And they said the man was directing them where to go. So he's like, oh, turn left here. Oh, yeah, it'll be really cool if you go right. Yeah, watch out for this loop. Wee! <laughs> I don't think he got them onto Six Flags Virginia and got them into a theme park, but he drove them around. He goes, and Max said, who's really narrating this story, he goes, as we were driving around, we were just drinking and talking and having fun, and he was just able to point us down these roads, and we never felt lost. He knew this area like the back of his hand. We're doing this for hours and hours. And the man keeps talking about the gas station. And he talks about how the gas station was in his family for generations. How it's something that he has to do. He feels like he has to do it. He also says, you know, I'm sure you guys can tell. But as he takes another swig out of the wine bottle, I think I have a bit of a drinking problem. Like, my family definitely thinks I have a drinking problem. I have to hide it from my family. So, guys, I'm so appreciative that we can drive around and just drink and be buddies. And I don't feel ashamed of this. And Max said, even though they're talking for hours and hours, he goes, I, to be truthful, I have to admit, not all the conversation I was completely aware of. I was drinking. They are driving, by the way. It's incredibly dangerous, obviously. It goes without saying, but I'm drinking, and he's talking. He goes, I don't remember a lot of the details about it. I don't remember his name. I just remember a point in the conversation when everything changed. He goes, we were driving down the road and he was talking to us, but I think also he was kind of talking to himself. And he started to not be happy. He started to make this emotional mood shift from happy to troubled to depressed. And I could tell that just from what he was saying and how he was feeling that he was in a really bad place in his life. And there was something about him, something tugging at his soul saying he needs to do better. Not just for himself, not to just prove that he can do it, but he needs to do better for his family. He has a family that depends on him, and he just can't keep spinning the wheels. He can't just keep managing this little corner store in the middle of Virginia. 
He needs to become a better man. And the mood completely changed. It was just this weird epiphany that this dude got, and Max felt it. And the mood changed, and the dude goes, can you take me back to the store? I think it's time to time for me to you know call it a night. And he goes, he directed us back down these roads, back to a store. Different roads this time. Go left here. Okay, keep going. We go up down this one too. They get back to the store, and at this point, the car is running low on gas. They had been driving around for quite a while, so at this point, it's about three in the morning. And they go, let's just refill up at this gas station. So they pull up to the gas station, and they're sitting there, and the dude is in the back seat. And he says, hey, I'm going to go inside, and I'm going to open up this shop, and we can hang out in there for a little bit longer. And PJ Maxx are like, oh, that's cool, you know? Max is sitting there, and he hears the man get out of the car. Here's the back door shut. And then instantly, Max and PJ are sitting at an abandoned corner store gas station, completely overgrown with weeds. Shattered windows peer into a darkness of a long abandoned shop. The gas pumps were broken. Nature had reclaimed this store. But reclaimed it from when? They were just here hours ago. They were just sitting in this driveway seconds ago. And when that back door slammed shut, both PJ and Max, they said, in an instant, everything was different. It was like removing a slide of a slideshow. It was this, and now it's that. Max and PJ look at each other. They have no idea what is going on. They turn around, and in the back seat is the brown paper bag that was used to disguise the wine bottle. They have absolutely no explanation for what's going on. They cannot figure it out. So they, they do the rational thing and just leave the area. Hopefully they can find another gas station that's open at 3 in the morning. And they do, miraculously. They do have enough gas to get to another gas station. And they go home. And the whole time, they're trying to figure out what in the world happened. And so they start to piece together things. Little things that they didn't even really think of when they were happening. When they pulled up to the gas station, they said it looked old, but looking back, the gas pumps looked super old. And not like they were old mangled up, but the style reminded them of something from the 1920s. Something they would have seen in a history book or in a mobster movie. Then they start talking about the people who were in... Because there were multiple people there. This isn't a vanishing hitchhiker type of story. Multiple people in the gas station. What happened to them? Who were they? And they start talking about them. And they realize that they, all the people there were dressed like they lived in the 1920s. The little boys had like on the suspenders and the stylish shorts of the time. The women all dressed up like women from the 1920s. They're doing flapper dances through the aisles. They're like, that should have been our first clue. And then the man they met also looked like a mobster from the 20s. But they just figured, I mean, who doesn't who doesn't want to look like a mobster from the 20s? That was a killer look, no pun intended. And they're like, okay, so wait a second. The place looked like it was from the 1920s. The people who were there were dressed like they were from the 1920s. And when we showed back up at the gas station, it looks like it hadn't been used since the 1920s. What in the world happened here? Max goes home and he tells his mom about this. He's like, mom, you won't believe the night I had. Tells her the whole story. And she says, I know what gas station you're talking about. I know that as an actual, like, corner store, 
gas station, that place has been closed since the 1970s. That's not even, we're not even to peak weirdness right now. Max tells this story to his fiancée years later. As he's telling her the story, it intrigues her tremendously. It intrigued me. And I'm not even sleeping with the guy. She begins researching stuff. She begins looking up photos to be like, is this what they were wearing? Is this what they were wearing? And she Googles a photo from the 1920s of a store, like a convenience store. And she gets these photos together. Now, at this point, because they never went into the store. They never once went into the store. She didn't know that. The first time he told her the story, she assumed that he did. So she got a photo of the inside of a 1920s convenience store to show, or corner store, everyone described it, to show Max to say, is this what it looked like? But, you know, he wouldn't know. He didn't go in the store. He just kind of looked in through the windows. So she shows him the photo, and he goes, that's him. That's the dude who we saw in Virginia and that backcountry road. And so they do a reverse Google search of the image. His name was Alex. This is, this is not, if this story is true, this is insane. Alex Sambato owned a corner grocery store in the 1920s. And he owned it until 1947. So that would place the age, because they said he was like looked like he was in his 20s. He was a younger man. So that would be right. This Alex Lombardo, who is an Italian immigrant, who the photo of him does look like he's a broad-shouldered guy in his suit. He's wearing like an apron, but you can tell he has a nice suit on underneath it. In the 1920s, when he was in his 20s, he owned a corner grocery store. He made the decision in 1947 to do better in life. To make a huge change. To realize that if he really wanted to be happy, he had to take a risk. Alex Lombardo started... <laughs> I don't remember what the business does. I, I'm trying to think of the, the word. I know what they do, but I can't think of what they do. What they, they He has a bunch of trees. <laughs> You're like, Jason, you were doing so good. You were doing so good. Now he's an int? What are you talking about? He so he's come so he quit the corner store in 1947. He bought a bunch of orchards. What is that? An orchardist. So he sells apples and cherries and wal walnuts. Walnuts are in this story. Um, I don't know why I'm so excited. That was from yesterday's episode. People don't remember the walnuts. So he has these trees and he's distributing apples and cherries and walnuts. So he did. He left behind the corner store and he started this orcharding business. Now I can wrap my head around a time warp, right? We've covered those a lot on the shows, but we're not even done with this story. As Max and his fiance are looking at this photo and they're doing the reverse Google search and finding that this company and now is still around, Primavera Marketing is what they're known as. He owned a corner store in the 1920s in San Francisco. He didn't live in Virginia. He didn't own the gas station corner store in Virginia. He lived in San Francisco in the 1920s. So what we have is a story where two locations across the United States get merged into one. Where two completely separate time periods get merged into one. To such a degree 
that Alex coming to I I I'm assuming I think the story takes place like in the 70s, the 80s, the original story. I really wish we had a time period for it. But if we have Alex appearing in the 80s, why wasn't he like, what is a Trans Am? What's up with your weird devil car? How did he not notice the inconsistencies, the fact they were in a, a souped-up Mustang driving through the woods? The woods! He's from San Francisco! But he knew his way around the back country of Virginia. So in his reality, was he driving around San Francisco? In our reality, were these guys driving around in Virginia? How This story is so bizarre. This is one of the weirdest stories I've ever come across. The time warp, that would have been interesting enough, but now we have two geographical locations merging into one. And you have this you have this amazing moment where what if this wasn't a story about two young men meeting a phantom hitchhiker who owned a gas station? The story was really about Alex coming to a crossroads in his life. Alex realized that something had to change. He had to do something different. But it took the mysterious meeting of these two guys who dressed kind of weird. They had holes in their pants. They were listening to crazy screaming of girls, girls, girls music on their tape cassette. The craziest, most out-of-control guardian angels in existence. But it was that night that made him come to the conclusion, I have to change things. I have to start working towards being a better person. Did this, did this event change his life? Is this the event, the reason why he started really analyzing what he wanted? A weird event for him as well. But was he, in his mind, driving around San Francisco? In his mind, was the car like an old-timey car? And they were dressed... I don't know. Like It's really hard for me to wrap my... Because you think he would have been puzzled by their automobile. The only thing I can think of, I thought about this too, what if they were driving a classic car? But I don't think two knuckleheads in Virginia were driving around a 1920s era Studebaker or whatever. So what is this? What is this story? Temporal distortion? Spatial distortion? People observing. There's no way he could have known his ways around the back roads of Virginia. He must have, in his mind, been somewhere else. Absolutely fascinating story. Why he got out of the car and shut the door and reality snaps back, who knows. But you know something... We're looking at the story from Max's point of view, where he's like a super weird, and he discovers this photo, and he goes, that's the guy. We're looking at the story from Alex's point of view, where this may have been the night where these two strangers took him for a ride, and he had this moment of friendship, but he also had a moment of clarity. It changed his life. For Max, it was just an interesting, trivial story. PJ, this event broke PJ. And of course it would. We talk about these scary stories all the time. We talk about these true crimes all the time. But when you're in them, when you're ten toes invested in one of these things, when you're sitting there and you just had a fun night and you're a little buzzed and you hear a door shut and you look up and reality has shifted, everything you know has changed right in front of you, that will break your brain. He couldn't get over it. He stopped eating. Stopped sleeping. Couldn't function. A complete breakdown of his psyche. They tried to get counseling for him. Wasn't working. I mean, think about it. You go meet your counselor. You're like, I don't know if you're going to cease to exist. I don't know if I blink. 
if all of a sudden my house will have been abandoned for 80 years and I'm an old man. I mean, it's that if you step back and think about it, that's how terrifying this would be. Imagine where you're at right now. Imagine blinking and then all of a sudden everything is 50 years from now. Not cool 50 years from now, like floating cars and holographic sex babes. Like weeds, weeds everywhere and broken windows. Imagine you're sitting in your house and then bam, all of a sudden it's completely run down. There's garbage everywhere. And you're like, oh, that's my normal house. I live in the dumps. But it would break your brain. It would really break your brain. It would mess with the way that you process the reality. We did that story recently about those two hikers and one of them like walked, was looking over the valley for like 45 seconds a minute, turned around and the other hiker was missing and they never found her. And this person was investigated and it wasn't them and they never found any trace of this person. And I said on that episode, how would that destroy your ability to perceive reality? At any point you would think anyone around you could just vanish. They never found any proof that this woman was even up there. But she was. Other people saw her. But I mean, they couldn't find any shoelaces or nothing. She vanished. And I said, how could you go on like that? This is worse. Because at least the hiker could go, maybe she slipped, maybe she fell, maybe a bear got her. Something. I didn't see what happened. So it must be something rational. This one, the two guys, they are looking and it just changes. Reality shifts. PJ was almost committed to a mental institution because of this. He could not comprehend what he saw. Fascinating story. It has everything I love about these paranormal topics. A guy going crazy, because we don't see that enough in these things. I hope, I'm not saying I hope more people go crazy, but a lot of times in these stories, these people have these fantabulous adventures and then they crawl back into bed or they end up eating breakfast the next day. And that makes sense because your body does go through a sort of shock when you see the paranormal because it shouldn't be real. But the long term effects are. I think there's more of this. I think there's more of these people just kind of going like old Looney Tunes crazy and we don't see it enough. And actually, I now that I say that, we probably don't see it enough because they're not telling their story. They might not even have the ability to tell their story. So if you ever find yourself driving down a back road anywhere, it doesn't have to be Virginia. I think we've found out that borders don't matter in this story. You're driving down a rural road. You see a little corner store and you have to pee all of a sudden. You should hold it in. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Don't pee at a random gas station. I recommend only urinating at Chevron's or BP's or, you know, chain gas stations. Because nothing weird's ever going to happen there. You might have a gun shoved in your face. You might get assaulted by a homeless person, but you don't have to worry about any sort of time travels or time slips. So you have to figure out what's more important, your mental health. Actually, now I'm about getting a 357 shoved against my temple for 20 minutes as some guys negotiating with the police would probably be pretty traumatizing either. I guess the moral of the story is hold it until you get home. Because if you pull over to the side of the road to urinate, you may just think you're going to drain the main vein. You're going to let the lizard leak. But instead, you're going to find yourself falling crotch first into a world of mind-breaking mystery. Yeah, that's good. That's a, that's a good ending. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, 
I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.